Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So, um, Wednesday was the uh, Epiphany, January 19th. Um, and as typical, the church usually doesn't sit in a season, um, it doesn't move on very quickly. So, even though the Epiphany was on Wednesday, we still kind of keep reading and thinking about the baptism and about John the Baptist. And today, um, on Wednesday, the readings obviously were about the Epiphany, but today the readings are about St. John the Baptist and another interaction with St. John the Baptist. Um, and we get some insight about St. John the Baptist today um, from this. And Jesus gave St. John the Baptist a title that really um, blows our mind. What did he say about him? He, he, he labeled him in a way. He said, there is none born of women that is greater than he. There's none greater that is born of women. And that's just an amazing testimony to John the Baptist. Um, in the church, he's actually the only person other than St. Mary and Jesus whose birthday we celebrate. We don't celebrate anyone's birthday in the church. And in fact, for those of you who follow the hymns closely, you'll notice that whenever we ask a saint for prayers, we'll say, you know, we'll say, ask St. Paul, say, pray on our behalf. But when we get to St. Mary and the angels and St. John the Baptist, we say intercede on our behalf. It's like they're given a little higher of a rank. And so the church puts St. John the Baptist directly beneath the angels. In fact, in, in his more traditional icon, we see him depicted as an angel, as a matter of fact. He's got wings. Um, and the question is why? Why is so much honor given to St. John the Baptist? I mean, we only hear about his ministry it lasted six months to a year, depending on which estimate you believe. Um, it wasn't that long. It wasn't that, there wasn't that much going on. He didn't actually say that much. If you count all the words St. John the Baptist said, and he said like 100 words. I mean, he just, he just didn't do that much. Um, and so we often talk about um, St. John's fiery spirit. We talk about how he was just a go-getter. You know, he called people out. He would, you know, see the Pharisees and say, you brood of vipers, right? And then he would go to the king and he'd say, you're not allowed to marry your brother's wife, you know, and, and it cost him his head, uh, you know, his life uh, for that statement. Um, he did some amazing things. He's very strong. He's very gutsy. He's very provocative. Um, he was extreme. Um, but the question is, is that why we celebrate him? And do we celebrate him for what he did? for what he said, or for actually who he was. And today's gospel um, gives us kind of the answer to this. And to be perfectly honest with all of you, I had never really, until I prepared for today's sermon, I had never really thought about and really got why we honored St. John the Baptist so much. I mean, I know we did, and he's you know, a big guy, but why we thought so highly of him. And it kind of hit me as we were, as I was preparing for this. And so, of course, there's no screens, but it started innocently enough, and I'll, I'll remind you of the, of the gospel. You all heard it. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, everyone is going to him. So they go up to John the Baptist, and they say, you know, everyone's going to Jesus. And first reaction is, ouch. I mean, isn't St. John the Baptist just a man? Isn't he a regular guy? Does he get jealous? Did he get a little twinge of, you know, I mean, I have one job. I'm the baptizer. You know, I, you've, you've got one job. You're John the Baptist. 
And now even that job is being taken away from you. And they're going to him and not to you. And that, that hurts a little bit, right? I mean, what if, what if people you know, came up to me and said, you know, you know, March, you, your sermons are okay, but Abuna Krillis' sermons, they're amazing. In fact, people really prefer Abuna Krillis' sermons to yours. I'd be like, ouch, that hurt a little. You know, or you're a funny guy, but everyone loves Abuna Andrew way more than they love you. <laughs> Kids like him better. They would rather be with him than with you. Be like, okay, it's true. It's ouch, it hurts. And so this has got to sting a little, right? Everyone is going to him, not to you, John the Baptist. And any human would be affected by this kind of statement. I don't think anybody, any of us would be above you know, and those, two, those statements are true, but they hurt. And what does it hurt? Hurts the ego, right? Hurts the pride, hurts the self-esteem a little bit. And then St. John's reply here is sort of what gives you the insight into who and what he is and why the church honors him so much. He says, a person can receive only what he is given from heaven. It's a nice response, right? He's basically saying, look, I don't have what he has, Christ. I only have what I have. And what I have, I was given. And what I was given, I was given from heaven. So it's not mine. I don't have what that other person's having. What, what I have is given from heaven, and, none, and all of it's a gift. And in the end, I'm just dust. So whatever I have is given from God. And every gift is given for the glory of God, and not for my glory. And so this part about what about me? What are people going to think of me? What's my legacy going to be? How do people respect me in the church, in the service, at my work, at my home, in my family, with my friends? What's my reputation? What's my legacy? What are people, how do people approach me and what do people say about me in, in passing? So St. John's response is truly spectacular, but he continues. He said, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. I mean, what does that even mean? So who's the bridegroom? Christ. And who's the bride? The people we are. So Christ has the bride. She belongs to him. He's the bridegroom. So can I be jealous? Can I attend my friend's wedding and look at the bride and think, I, I wish she was with me? Is that okay? Can I do that? Could I even have that thought? Not if I'm a real friend. And that's what he says. He says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him, the bridegroom, rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. So he loves to hear the bridegroom's voice and he loves that the bride is with the bridegroom and that makes him happy and he goes to the wedding and he dances at the wedding because that's the way it should be. So when the people tempted St. John the Baptist and they told him, you know, people are leaving you. You know, people are no longer being your disciples. They're being his disciples now. And he's baptizing. His response was really great. He just said, they aren't mine. They're his. And he was able to just give up his own ego for that. And so the question is, do people sometimes attack other people for their service at the church? Sure. Do people get jealous of others for their service at church. Someone is a great speaker, someone has a great voice, someone is a good servant, someone is a 
whatever. Do people think, ah, wish I was? Sure. Do people even attack each other for gifts? Yeah. I mean, when the, when the sinful woman poured the spice on Christ, which is a beautiful thing, what did one of the disciples say? Judas, what did he say? Couldn't this have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He shamed her. And who was he looking at when he said it? He was looking at right at her. Can you imagine? She went, saved all her money, bought these spices, poured them on Christ as an offering of love, and then he comes along, stares her in the eye, and said, you could have saved that money and given it to the poor, right? He attacked her. And so what St. John the Baptist did in response to this little provoke by the people, he did it with style and elegance. And that's not easy to do. It's not easy to give up your thing, the thing you're known for. I mean, you know, when, when your husband says to you, you know, I like her pumpkin scones more than your pumpkin scones, that's fighting words. the Baptist, he hits us with the line that ends all lines, all verses. It's the verse that we're all called to live by. It's the summary of the entire Christian life in seven words. It embodies everything we're called to be as Christians. He must increase and I must decrease. And that's when you get who this guy is. He must increase and I must decrease. I mean, if we get this verse and we live by it, there's really nothing left. You don't need to learn a lot of verses on how to be a Christian, on how to pray, on how to serve, on how to fast, on how to love, on how to live. That really embodies everything. In, this, in his very famous book, The Grain of Wheat, Father Matthew the Poor talks about, you know, the title of the book is The Grain of Wheat. He says, unless the grain of, the wheat, grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it produces no fruit. And he focuses on this I must decrease part. And he says that the Lord wants us to destroy the old self, the old man. He says the old self is the man of sin and lust, pride, and false freedom. His ego is his only concern. His thoughts, his labors, his hates, his grief, his joy, his peace, his fear, his glory, and even his worship belongs to his ego. And he talks about how we need to destroy this in ourselves and fight against it constantly. And this becomes the battle of us as Christians. I'll read you a quote from the book. He says, this is a very hard process. So God uses all possible measures, direct or indirect, to attack the self. He applies constant pressure, a pressure which never ceases. God could choose different means, but is content to act in this way, for he has one goal, to destroy man's pride and its power, and to break the bonds that imprison the spirit of the new man. The self is under siege within the body, seeking to avoid God's blows against it. It may appear at first to sicken, but then it recovers. So God constantly changes his means of attack. At home, for example, he may use parents, brothers and sisters. At school or in the street, he may use one's friends. If these means fail, he uses a person's employer or rivals or competitors or else his job 
and his reputation. If such methods also fail, he uses the power of natural creation, animals and insects, by inflicting weakness or illness. Finally, if all things fail, man is delivered into the hands of Satan, who will humiliate him and apply such discipline as God in his love has not used. The devil is merciless in his activity, and thus man is at last humbled and brought down to the dust. It's a very moving passage. And in fact, this is exactly what today's Pauline epistle was about. If you guys remember, it says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That was today's Pauline epistle. What does that even mean? He continues, he says, remember those earlier days when you endured a great conflict of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side by, with those who were so treated. So what does that mean? That means when we go into God's hands, he breaks us, right? Just like the story of the five loaves and the two fish, he took the loaves, and before we can be distributed to others, we have to be broken. And this is what God does. And Father Matthew elicits all of these different ways in which God breaks us. And one of the ones that struck me when I first read this, by the way, was the insects. He uses insects. What do you think he meant? Think monastery, mosquitoes. I mean, we go to the monastery, we can handle it for like a day. The mosquitoes eat us up alive. And then you think these people are there day in and day out, waking up to the sound of those things buzzing near you, getting bit. And I was just imagining Father Matthew the poor thinking, these mosquitoes, God's using them to subdue myself. Amazing. So people give us these tribulations and reproach and struggle. And that's exactly what the psalm today was before we read the gospel. We went through water and fire. So when I hear about St. John the Baptist, I hear about a man who's been through the fire. He's dead. He showed us what death is. People poked and he didn't even react. He said, they're not mine, that they belong to the bridegroom. And he had no ego, he had no jealousy, he had nothing of his self left. And so one of the spiritual writers says, obedience is the veil under which you must disappear. It's deep. Obedience is the, uh, is the veil under which you must disappear. This week I watched a documentary on a, a Catholic nun who passed away in 2016 from an earthquake in Ecuador. Her name is Sister Claire. And uh, she's an interesting character. She showed up at a pilgrimage as a teenager. She's from Ireland um, with cigarettes and alcohol because she didn't know that it was a, a pilgrimage. She thought it was, it, was a, it was a party trip to Spain with her friends. And she turned her life around in an amazing way. I highly recommend you watch this YouTube video. It's quite amazing. But her obedience and surrender to God was stunning. Every morning she got a blank piece of paper and said, God, ask me anything you want, anytime. And she never cared about herself. She herself didn't even matter. What she felt didn't matter at any given moment. She used to play the guitar and sing with the little kids at the orphanages. And you watch these videos. I mean, she's recently passed away, so the videos are very good. And she's smiling and laughing and singing, and she used to sing really loud. And it turned out, we find out after she passed away, that she suffered from migraines. And that many of the times in the videos when she was singing, she had migraines. And you all know how hard those can be. 
and yet she suffered through it and no one knew. No one had any idea. She gave to everyone without any reserve, without holding anything back, everything she had, every time to the point where she had nothing left to give. Her quote is, we have to be saints. It's all or nothing. We can't remain in mediocrity. We have to fight with all our strength against the obstacles that impede us from growing. That reminds me of St. John the Baptist, all or nothing. That kind of intensity in our spiritual life, not the mediocre life of just kind of coming to church and appeasing our, our you know, conscience and just kind of getting rid of our guilt by showing up every other week and saying, well, I went, but it's all or nothing. Today in the, in the third hour of the gospel Nathaniel read this morning, it says every branch that bears fruit he prunes and every branch um, uh, sorry, every branch that, bear that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So think about that. Every branch that bears fruit, a good branch, he prunes. What is pruning? Cutting with clippers, and that hurts. And so God takes the branches that bear fruit, and what does he do to them? He cuts them so that they may bear more fruit. I'll read this last quote from Sister Clara. She says, sometimes it's easy to say yes, I want Christ to enter in me, but that doesn't occur in five minutes. You can't just go in front of the tabernacle and say now, and it's done and over with, and he's there inside you. In my experience, it's a fairly painful process. In order for Christ to live in me, in order for him to dwell inside and take complete possession of my soul, he has to step out, he has to step on and crush the serpent, the old nature, the ego of Claire Crockett. This hurts a lot, a lot, sometimes a ton. He has to get rid of everything that isn't him. And there's a lot, by the way. And sometimes my despicable self runs after things that he is trying to rid my soul of. My will, my likes, my attachments, my ideas, my plans. And that hurts. Even though I know it's for my own good, it stings. It doesn't it doesn't mean that when I say, let me die so you can live, I'm just kidding. No, I'm serious when I say it. But please, give me your strength, your grace, your love, your saints, your mother, your heart, so I can lose all fear, so I can open wide the doors to you. She has this other quote, what makes the Lord happy is when I let him save me. And my happiness is in the fact that God desires to save me. He does everything, moves everything, and permits everything in order to save me. This week I had a discussion with a mom who was really struggling with her daughter's wedding, and a lot of things are happening at the wedding that she is just not happy about at all, nor should she be. And she's going through a heck of a trial, a lot of battles, and she's not a theologian, and she's not a spiritual writer, and she's not a servant, and she's not anything, you know, ranking in the church, but yet she hit it right on the head. She said, the struggle is against myself. That's where the struggle is. And I was like, that's exactly it. Sister Claire says, in every act of, of obedience, the Lord requires the same. Unite my will to his, to sacrifice all my desires and to make my heart grow. Sure, there are acts of obedience that are hard for me, but I know they're always for my good. If I want to put on the mind of Christ, I have to disappear. I have to disappear. And this is what we see John the Baptist doing, disappearing. 
he must increase and I will inc and I he must increase and I will decrease I must decrease so I'll end with this one last thought St. John the Baptist is called the forerunner he came to prepare the way for Christ so imagine God incarnate is coming to earth and he sends one guy and he says prepare the way for me prepare earth for me and then this guy comes and he doesn't say much he doesn't talk a lot he's not an eloquent theologian he's not saint john chrysostom he's not someone who's a prophet who fills books and books with stuff what is he he's a guy who does a guy who is and so his way of preparing us for christ wasn't to talk about it it was to He was a man who had struggled against himself. He had disappeared under obedience, and he'd lived his own words, he must increase and I must decrease. He had surrendered. He was a man of few words, but a man of a very deep life. May the Lord grant us his intercessions always, and glory be to God forever. Amen. Blessed.